Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24, how Isaac meditated in the evening on how God provided for him in the day, and how we should not take God's care for granted or overlook it. Now, before we begin with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God, we'd like to encourage you to consider making a contribution to this radio program. 100% of it will go towards keeping this Bible teaching radio program on the air in your city. We don't have any cost towards administrations, and it's 100% tax deductible. It will also have a matching donation that goes towards Israel Restoration Ministries and our Jewish evangelism outreach that reaches over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. But we'd like to encourage you to give your 100% tax-deductible donation by donating online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. Help us to continue airing on this station in your city. Now, we also have exciting news that Tom Cantor has finished his Friendship with God Study and Resource Bible with over 2,200 pages and over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources, including 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, as well as 12 custom-made color maps and a full nine-page color chart of the History of Israel timeline map, not to mention an incredible concordance and all these other helps and resources personalized by Tom Cantor to help you grow your friendship with God. And you can obtain this by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. With shipping and handling, it's $89.99. We'll send that to you. So get the Tom Cantor Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible for $89.99. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching. Whereas Eliezer switched the focus to their mouths, what they had said, and they couldn't answer Eliezer, and now they switch the focus to whose mouth does it say? Rebecca's mouth. Well, inquire at her mouth. Okay? So that's why they said in verse 57 that they would inquire at Rebecca's mouth. And when they said in verse 57 that they're going to inquire at Rebecca's mouth, that made the decision very personal for Rebecca. Very personal. A, this is a decision as to whether or not she's going to go, and it's going to come right out of Rebecca's mouth. If Rebecca said no... Or if she wasn't definite about it, they wouldn't, she wouldn't go. But if she said with a very clear yes, then she'd go. So what we can see from verse 53 is Rebecca's there, and, and she's already taken the gifts. So she's already received the gifts that were given to her. So now in verse 57, the issue appears to have risen about when is she's going to go. And from verse 53, she's present, she's taken the gifts. But now in verse 57, she's gone. She went someplace. And we can assume that, you know, she didn't like, I don't know, probably all the arguing, whatever. So she leaves to another place, and she doesn't want to get in the middle of this argument. And so they have to go and find her and call her. And so wherever it is, they call her. From wherever she is, they, give her, they call her. So notice how they pose the question. They kind of stack the question in their favor. They don't want her to go. So they don't say, will you go to become Abraham's son's wife? And didn't put it that way. I mean, they knew Abraham. But they pose the question in a way that's really sending the message to her. They don't want her to go. And so it says in verse 58, they called Rebecca and said to her, wilt thou go with this man? (laughs) What they're really saying is that, you know, what they're really saying is they're not saying, will you go become Abraham's son's wife? But they'll say, will you go with this man? 
And the emphasis is on the word this. You know, as if they were saying, now, Rebecca, Abraham, we know. This man, we don't know this man. Who is this man? Comes, I don't know, got camels, I don't know, gifts. He says he's Abraham's servant, but, you know, he, Abraham's not here to attest to that. He's got some gifts. We cannot tell what he's saying is really true or not. We haven't had the time to confirm it. I mean, it just appears. It's just today. It just happened yesterday. It happened so quickly. So our question is whether or not you will go with this man. And that's the question we're asking you now. We want you to answer. When they said that they would require Rebecca's mouth, it paints for us a picture that they'd all be watching Rebecca's mouth. You know, what words are going to come out. You can see them all waiting there to hear from Rebecca's mouth. As the group said, we're going to wait, we're going to watch for the answer from Rebecca's mouth. That's exactly the same picture that we have of the word of God in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Moses said, He humbled thee, he suffered thee to hunger, he fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth, what? Out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. See, the word of God is how we live. We feed ourselves on the word of God. The Bible is our daily food. And when we're born again, we learn how to eat this word, how to feed on this word, as Peter put it in 1 Peter 2.2, when he says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See, our spiritual nourishment we get from the Bible, it comes right out of the mouth of God. Just as the family said that they were going to wait and watch for the answer to come out of the mouth of Rebecca, we daily, when we read the Bible, we're waiting, we're watching for answers, for direction, for guidance from the mouth of God. Right out of his mouth. That's why when the leaders of Israel did not ask God if they should believe those people who came to him with their old clothes and their rotted bags and everything and said they were from old far away and they wanted to make peace, which they weren't, from a far away, but it says that their failure was to get counsel, but it describes it in Joshua 9.14, and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. See, they didn't go. It was not that they just didn't ask counsel from God, they didn't ask counsel from the mouth of the Lord. And all of his direction comes from the mouth of the Lord. And if there's sin in our hearts, we don't want to see God's mouth. We don't want to go to God's mouth. It might say something bad about us. And so that's why the words of the true prophets were so important for Israel because the prophets are described in 2 Chronicles 36, 12 as giving the words from the mouth of God. It says, and he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord in 2 Chronicles 36, 12. And that's how God described the difference between the true prophets of God and the false prophets. In Jeremiah 23, 16, Jeremiah 23, 16, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you, that make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. See, it all came down to which prophets were speaking the words that came out of the mouth of the Lord. In Isaiah 1, 18 through 19, God makes an invitation to lost sinful men, to come to him, to be saved, to be cleansed from their sins. He says that in Isaiah 1, 18 through 19. Isaiah 1, 18 through 19, he says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. If you be willing, 
and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But then he describes the particular problem of rejecting his offer to be saved and cleansed in the next verse, in Isaiah 1.20. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. And then he says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. See, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It shows us rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and cleanser from sin is a personal offense to God because his mouth gave the invitation to be saved and cleansed. The families decided to ask Rebecca. They're going to wait. They're going to watch for the answer to come from her mouth. And we see at the end of verse 58, Rebecca's response. So they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? She said, I will go. She gave a very clear answer. She didn't just say yes. She didn't say, well, I would like to become Abraham's son's wife. See, those answers could be used by the family to start this. Uh, now we need to start an investigation if you, Eliezer, really are who you say you are. You know, it could be all these things. See, their question was, will you go with this man? And her answer was a very immediate and clear, I will go. And that settled the matter. And then all they could do is to send her. Now, just freeze that scene. Freeze that scene in your mind. This great family discussion and all the discussion stops. You know, Laban stopped talking. Bethuel stopped talking. Rebecca's going to talk. She's going to give the final decision. It's a very important picture for us because it's the picture of the decision that determined, in her case, whether she go or not go. And when we look further and see the analogy there, it's a decision. It's like a, a picture of a decision of a sinner that, who determines if he's going to go to heaven or if he's going to go to hell. And just as Eliezer wanted Rebecca to go and her family did not, and there was this tug of war, there can be great discussions where we as soul winners, we really want a person to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved, and then there may be others in the family that doesn't want the person to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But just as all that discussion in Rebecca's home stopped, and everyone waited to hear Rebecca, who made the final decision. In the end, it all comes down to the decision for each person to make for himself as to whether or not he will be saved. God does not decide that for anyone. God does not decide who will respond to his call to believe him and turn to him. That's totally each person's decision, and God doesn't decide that. God's sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's decided to give man the power to choose or to reject. That's man. And each man makes his own decision, and God has chosen that if a man does respond positively to him, then he's going to show him mercy, he's going to save him, he's going to predestinate him to be conformed to the image of his son, he's going to live in heaven for eternity. But if a person makes his own decision to reject God's invitation to be saved, then God will reject that person, cast him into hell for eternity. And it all came down, just it all came down to Rebecca's decision, go or not go, it all comes down to each person's decision, come or not come, to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and cleansing. God doesn't make that decision. He leaves that decision totally up to each person. God doesn't determine everything that happens. He has determined that each person will make their own decision to accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Rebecca's response of, I will go, she's really answering two questions. The first question she answers is, when she says, I will go, is whether or not she would become Isaac's wife, which, as we said, she already kind of answered that question when she took the gifts, verse 50. But the second question that everyone was really waiting for her to answer was, will you go right now with Eliezer? That was the importance of her answer in verse 58, when she said, I will go which really meant, I will go right now. And so when Rebecca said those words, I will go, 
what her family heard her say was that she was willing to forget her own people and her father's house to become Isaac's wife. As far as we know, they never saw her again on this date. That's really remarkable. Because that's exactly how coming to God is described. And we can understand the strong opposition today, if you think about it in the Jewish family context, the strong opposition by a Jewish family, by a Jewish father's house, and they put that in the way of a Jewish person coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell you from my own personal experience, it's typical for a Jewish person coming to the Lord Jesus Christ to have to forget his own people and his father's house, just as it's described in Psalm 45, 10 through 11, where it says, Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. See, for a Jewish person to call Jesus Lord and to worship Jesus, he must forget, oftentimes, his own people and his father's house. But as we saw last week in the case of the disciples who had this instantaneous response, we see that in Rebecca. There's no, well, let me think about this. There's, you know, she doesn't do that. You know, there's no, well, let me talk it over with my family. She doesn't do that. There's just this instantaneous, I will go. And that instantaneous response is what we saw with the disciples, but it reminds us of Mary. I mean, Mary, the mother of the Lord, she had a problem in understanding. It's understandable, but she had a problem in understanding how she could have a baby when she never came together with a man. How is that possible? And so she asked the question. It's given for us in Luke 1, 34-38. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath conceived in her son in her old age, this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I mean, think about that. I mean, Mary was told she's going to have a baby, and she had a legitimate question. You know, how's that possible? And God honored her legitimate question and gave her an answer that, even though it never before happened, a never before happened explanation, and God was tracking in her mind. And she's pushing, she's got in her mind this thought, that's impossible, that's impossible. And she's pushing it aside, and God keeps her from falling into her mind's unbelief. By saying in verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And the beauty of her response was that she didn't say, let me think about it. There was no hedging of let me think about it. The feeling of let me think about it is like a tentacle holding arm of an octopus that wraps around its victim, causing him delay. So he's not free. He's held. And if anyone going, if anyone is going to come to God, if anyone's going to come to God, he must break loose from this octopus tentacle arm of let me think about it, this hesitation with a Rebecca-like immediate and decisive, I will go. You know, Mary broke loose from her hesitation of let me think about it with an immediate beat unto me. And Andrew and Peter and James and John, they broke loose from their nets with an immediate response to follow the Lord. And Rebecca broke loose from her let me think about a hesitation, from her family and from her father's house with an immediate response, I'll go right now to become Isaac's wife. 
So every lost sinner who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to break loose. He has to break free from his let-me-think-about-it hesitation. And if need be, he has to break loose from his family, from his father's house, with an immediate response to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This last week, I had lunch with a lost friend of mine, known for 20 years, and he told me that he knew he had to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he wanted to come later. That's the disturbing response. See, just as the angel called Mary and the Lord Jesus called Andrew and Peter and James and John and Eliezer calls Rebecca. So the Holy Spirit is calling lost sinners today. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. Be cleansed. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free. Signing up with your email by going to friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. Right after her decisive three words in verse 58 of, I will go, we read of immediately... There are four words in verse 59. They sent away Rebecca. So we read that. It's interesting in verse 59 how Rebecca is referred to. It says, they sent away Rebecca, their sister. Rebecca is the sister of Laban, but she's not her mother's sister, Bethuel. But when it says their sister, it shows that the principal spokesman here and the real decision maker in this home is Laban, Rebecca's brother. And then, the other interesting point we see in verse 59 is, and they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse. What? What's this? And her nurse? Rebecca has a nurse? And that's the first time we read Rebecca had a nurse. And later on in Genesis chapter 35, verse 8, we learn what her nurse's name was. It says, but Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. So the name, we know that the name of Rebecca's nurse is Deborah. But Rebecca not only has a nurse, because look at verse 61. It says, and Rebecca rose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels. So what we learn from this verse, she also has damsels. So Rebecca has a nurse. Rebecca has damsels to wait on her. Rebecca had servants. Every Jewish girl should have servants, <laughs> which is why I didn't marry Harriet Steinbaum and instead married Cheryl Mumaugh. And when we think of that Rebecca had a nurse and damsels to wait on her, then we think about that in the context of Rebecca went down herself to draw water. And Rebecca watered those camels herself. That tells us a lot about Rebecca. She worked because she wanted to work. She didn't work because she had to work. Rebecca could have chosen to sit back. Rebecca could have very easily chosen to sit back and say, Oi, mine feet, Vic, a cushion for mine feet. She could have done that. That was not Rebecca. That wasn't who she was. She knew the value of work, and just because she had servants, she didn't stop working. She valued work. 
See, she wasn't a princess who made herself immune from work. She worked because she wanted to, she valued it, not because she had to. So in verse 59, we see this group, they're leaving. There goes Rebecca, there's her nurse, there's her verse 61 damsels, and they're going with uh, Abraham's servant and his men. But before she leaves the group, and it's likely that they will never see her again, we read in verse 60, they blessed Rebecca and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Again, we know who's speaking. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. See, verse 60 shows that they bless Rebekah, and we understand that it's Laban who's speaking and praying. And first in his prayer blessing, he owns her as his sister. And he says, thou art our sister. Now follow the two words thou in verse 60. See, the first thou speaks of her current state. She's my sister, Laban speaking. You are my sister. The second thou speaks of his desire for her. Be thou for her seed to number in the millions and that her seed should dominate over their enemies. And so when you look at the two thous, we can see that Laban is saying, just as sure as you are my sister, I want you to have seed that's going to number in the millions and that they should dominate over their enemies. So there's something beautiful in, in, in Laban's blessing here when he says, be thou. Be thou, we can hear that he's got a very strong intention, Laban does. By saying, be thou, he's praying with this intention. It's an intentional prayer. Shows that Laban had thought about it, what he's going to pray for, and he prays this with intention when he says, be thou. This be thou part of his prayer is a challenging instruction for us because the be thou of Laban's prayer shows that there's no question as to what he is praying for. You know, at the end of Laban's prayer, you could say, what did you pray for, Laban? And Laban would say, I prayed for two things. I prayed that her seed would go into the millions and that they would dominate its enemies. That's challenging for us. So often, we don't pray those types of be thou intentional prayers, and instead, we just cop out with a, Lord, bless this person, or bless that person. We cop out. We use the rubber stamp. You know, bless this person, bless that person, without any thought. That's not an intentional prayer. If you were asked, what did you pray for? So, well, we prayed God to bless him. Well, what does that mean for God to bless him? So, I don't know. God knows what the needs are, so he should just meet the needs. I just rubber stamped it. You know, what do you want? God doesn't want that from us. He wants the be thou prayers, the intentional prayers, which is why he said in Luke 18, 41, with the blind man, he said, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? Well, it seemed really obvious he was blind, but he wanted to draw it out. Say it. You just say it, be intentional about it. Say, I want you to give me sight, which he did. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Now, in the blessing itself, we see an almost exact repeat of what God said he would do for Abraham in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, where it says, where God said to Abraham, in blessing, I'll bless thee, and in multiplying, I'll multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies." So we see that Laban is now being led by the Holy Spirit as he prays for Rebekah. That's encouraging for us. Because just as the children of God were led by the Holy Spirit to pray, that's what it says in Romans 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And then later in verse 26 of the same chapter, likewise the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, And the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. See, Laban intended to pray specifically, and the Holy Spirit led him what to pray for. 
Laban's intention was to pray, and Laban's reliance was on the Holy Spirit to lead him what to pray for. And Laban prayed for exactly what God had promised Abraham. And that shows that when our intention means that we want to pray for the right things, and our reliance is on the Holy Spirit to lead us to pray for what we should pray for. See, it's significant that Laban didn't just pray that Rebekah's seed is going to be blessed, but he prays numbers, he prays millions. And then he prays, he says, brings up kind of like a, it's like, why does he say this? You know, he prays about, he brings to light people that are going to hate her seed. We haven't even seen her seed, but he understands people are going to hate her seed. Why should they hate her seed? But he prays that way. He saw the haters. He saw the haters of her seed. You know, Jewish people and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have one thing in common. There's a lot of people who hate them, you know. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now we come, in verse 61, to the actual departure. And we see the family waving goodbye, and Rebecca's leaving, and it says in verse 61, Rebecca rose, her damsels, they rode upon the camels, followed the man, the servants took Rebekah and went his way. So you see the group going off into the horizon on those camels, being jostled back and forth, and as the camels do, walking away. And there are two important words in verse 61 which describe what Rebekah did and what Eliezer did. Thank you for listening to our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, and the Friendship with God radio program. Now, Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And if you'd like to work for Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries, building relationships and discipling God's lost nation of Jewish people, we want to find people who want to be missionaries to Jewish people, full-time, part-time, and even volunteers. If you're interested, call us for more information or to support Jewish evangelism with your donation. 800-247-3051.